today, I wanted to handle a topic that has just definitely cranked itself up for sure in our lives, and we're all feeling it, um, but I wanna do it more on a general phase because we've been feeling this for some time, and it's just been kind of just stirring and stirring and stirring. Have you felt that? And it's this unrest Unrest. I mean, you just feel it everywhere. You can't turn on any social media at all or anything right now and not feel unrest, not just in the past week, but in the past couple months, opinions, um, arguments, frustrations. Um, we, we see resentment building, distrust, and, and all these things we're, we're dealing with. And, and sometimes, doesn't it feel like you just go, I, I need a break, I, I need a break, God. There's so much unrest around me. And in all these times of opinions, and I don't lack for people's opinions. Um, People share their opinions with me, so I don't lack for them. Um, And and I had somebody come up to me recently and say this. They say, hey man, Chris, I wanna be in your shoes. And I thought, wow. I mean, I think I got some pretty nice shoes. I mean, I'm a shoe guy. I like shoes. I mean, why does he wanna be in my shoes? Now, you know it's a metaphor, but at the same time, I've been a shoe guy for a long time, and I love a new pair of shoes. Hey, young people, listen to me out there. You get a new pair of shoes, it's hard not to look at them, isn't it? When you start playing basketball in a new pair of shoes, you just feel like, oh, you're on top of the world. If you're in school, you kind of keep looking down at them and checking them out, going, man, those shoes, they just make you feel good. I've always been a shoe guy, even when I was young. My parents said, hey, we're going to church. Last week, you wore dirty sneakers. It's not what you're wearing to church. Get on your best shoes. So I went up to my room. I was, in my, I was a, a little bit older in junior high, I think. And I'm looking through my shoes and I laid hold of my Jordan 5s. Air Jordans, I had them. My mom got them for me. They had the, I, I had them in boxes. I love my shoes so much. And I opened up that box. I put on my Jordan 5s. I came down the steps to go to church. And my mom and dad stopped me. They said, what? We said put on your best shoes. And I said this. These are my best shoes. And they let me wear them to church. And I'm the pastor now, so it must have worked out pretty good. But, but I wore what I thought were my best shoes. But I know what my friend meant. He had been thinking about what he thought I was going through. And he said, I don't want to be in your shoes. It's almost a, a statement of, I don't want your job. But it's also a statement, and I appreciated this, of empathy of empathy, because he finished that line with, I've been praying for you. He knows the unrest that weighs on a shepherd's heart, on a pastor's heart, because it was weighing on his heart. I think it's weighing on a lot of our hearts. I don't want to be in your shoes. Well, when I start thinking about speaking into the subject of unrest, I start trying to gain perspective because I have limited perspective, okay? I I don't always see the other person's point of view on these subjects. And when we're in those time periods, it's important before we spout off our opinions, we have better perspective because even Proverbs teaches us this. If we don't have proper perspective, we can spout off opinion and be filled with folly in that opinion because it has not been accurately weighed out through perspective. So I've been calling. I've been talking to different parts of our body of Christ right here who is impacted in some various way by this.
I've talked to some wonderful dear friends of mine that are part of the black community and just wanted to get their feelings and their concerns and, and their perspective on this. I have some very, very close friendships who are police officers. Dear friends of mine, one of mine, a, a dear mentor. I reached out to him, I said, I need your perspective on this. I wanna hear your thoughts on this. I've reached out to some families because we have four young men in our church family who are in Philadelphia who are a part of the National Guard. I even texted one of our guys who's in the National Guard. He got back to me down there in Philadelphia. I wanted to hear his perspective. Why? Because when I want to speak into unrest, I want to be able to speak to everyone, not just one set of shoes. Because I may not have walked in those shoes. I may not understand that person's shoes. And, and if I want to be Christ, I'm going to speak into all the shoes, not some of the shoes. Because Jesus was sent because God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And I want to live that love as a pastor. I wanna live Jesus Christ as a pastor. And so if I'm gonna speak into unrest, I need to speak into a way that I believe would honor my heavenly father and my hero, Jesus Christ. And as I began to pray through this and work through this, I kept coming up with this question and it's the question I wanna use to speak unto the unrest that we're all living in. Am I gonna be part of the problem or part of the solution. <laughs> what, what do you mean? We can't go back and change what happened. We can't go back and change what happened all the way back at March 16th and, and the trauma that many of us are going through. Businesses are lost. Um, people are, are struggling to pay bills. There's been family unrest, marriage unrest. Within our church, we're seeing counseling needs go up dramatically. There's unrest for food. And then on top of that, racial unrest comes flying in this week and cranks it to a new level. And I'm asking myself, am I gonna be part of the problem or part of the solution? Because I can't go back and fix it. I I gotta move forward now, and what's the best path forward? Say, good luck with that, Chris. Because there's been racial unrest in our country for years. There has been political unrest for years. There's been family unrest. There's just been a level of anxiety in our country even prior to the COVID shutdown. How can we move forward with some sort of solution? I believe we can by taking an empathetic approach and applying truth. What, what, what could solve this? I mean, anger's not gonna solve it. Hatred's not gonna solve it. What could solve this? And, and I wanna argue the title of our sermon today. Genuine love in times of unrest. Note the word genuine love. You say, oh man, when we're going through moments like this and people talk about love, it just sounds so weak, like yeah, we gotta love, time out. That's weak love. My Savior's love is the toughest love out there. And I would dare to say most people have no clue what that love is like. Because it ain't fake love. It's not a one-day post. 
It's not a, I'll pretend to care. It's not a, I hate everyone from this day forward. It's a love that can love its enemies. It's a love that can love someone even when they disagree with them. Have you ever tried that kind of love? It's a love that sees an enemy and prays for them. It's a love that can love someone even when they don't understand the other person's viewpoint at all. It's a radical love. It's a tough love. But most importantly, it's a genuine love. You say, Chris, I want to hear about this love. I want to hear more about this love. I, I, want, to, I, want, to, I want to emulate this love because I want to be part of the solution. I don't want to be part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution. What is this genuine love? And I'm going to tell you. I have been praying for a passage to speak into this. And Romans chapter 12, the Lord just led it to me as I was searching the scriptures for a passage and I read through verses nine through 21. And I'm telling you, and I told the staff this, I have never seen a passage so beautifully speaking to everything we've been dealing with over the past couple months, let alone this past week. And so if you wanna put your hard hat on you want to pull up your pants and you want to say, Christian, I want to live and love like Jesus. This is your passage today. But it's not going to be easy. And you're not always going to like what it says. But I'm the messenger and I want to share with you genuine love in times of unrest. Hey, let's pray. Let's ask the Lord to stir in our hearts a desire to live out genuine love. And then let's dive into the scriptures. I'll pray, a video will come up and give it yourself a chance during that video to look at the verses and just ask the Lord, Lord, would you soften my heart? Would you soften my opinions? Would you soften my perspective for just this next 30 minutes or so so that I can hear your word and seek to understand, to appreciate, or at least have compassion? on another man's shoes. Heavenly Father, use your text today. Use this wonderful passage in Romans 12 to guide our thinking in times of unrest. Our entire church family has been affected by this and we all come at it with very different shoes we're wearing. But Lord, you can speak into all those shoes. I can't, Chris can't. But I know you can. And so we don't wanna hear from me today, Lord. I just wanna share your truth so, Lord, speak your truth into this unrest. And may it guide our church family and all who are listening maybe outside of even our state into a genuine love that the world will see and that can motivate and create solutions. In Jesus' name, amen. Genuine love. Romans chapter 12 9 through 21, Paul, writing the church of Rome, he has been telling them about the importance of being a living sacrifice, of living out the, the truth that they've been given, living out the gospel. He talks about the gifts of grace, and he moves into a section that's often been subtitled, The Marks of a Christian, okay? And I want us to just walk through these 13 verses and just kind of glean some insight and watch how each one of these verses, it'll build, 
shows us how to live, even in times like this, from whatever shoes you're wearing into the subject. Let love, he begins in verse nine, be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. I've often shared that I began working at a bank as a teller, and we were taught how to find counterfeit money. The way they taught us was they'd give us a pack of 20s, and we'd take the pack, and they say, count it as fast as you can. And we count it. And it was fun as a teller to get as fast as you can. And you go as fast as you can, and then, and then you'd be done. They'd give you another pack, and you're like, okay. And like, I thought we were here to um, figure out what counterfeit money is. Shouldn't we be looking at counterfeit money? Take another pack of 20s, Chris. Okay. Count that out. Um, thought we were here for counterfeit money. You thought we were going to learn about counterfeit money. This is odd. Here's another pack. Count it out. Then we finally get to like our 10th pack, and they hand us a pack, and we go, wait a minute. And we'd hold, you should have seen the line. This feels different. Yeah, that's the counterfeit 20. Ah. They said, here's the point of this principle. We wanted you to know the real thing so well that you could spot the counterfeit. God wants us to know the real thing about love so well that we could spot counterfeit love. You see, love is action. Love is a verb. Many people have made love a noun, something like you fall out of like a chair. I fell out of love or fall into like a pool. Oh, I just fell into love. And we make it this thing. But, but scripture shows us love is action. Love is a, a choice. Love is unconditionally giving ourselves to someone else regardless of the treatment. And there's multiple Greek words that make up the word love. And Paul's saying here, I want you to understand what genuine Genuine love is, genuine love, not counterfeit love. Genuine love abhors what is evil. Now, this is the New Testament. If you're newer to scripture or newer to church, this is obviously English, but it has been translated from Greek. So when I use references like the root word, what I mean is the Greek word, and I often use the term of going underneath the word. Let's get underneath the word. What's the root of that word? Because it's been translated from a Greek word, okay? So instead of me saying Greek all the time throughout the text, I'm just gonna say, hey, let's get under that word for a minute. Here's what it means in its original, in its original language. So let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. This is a relationship word underneath it. It's not just that's evil, it's actually a relationship word which means this evil is evil being done to someone else. Abhor evil being done to someone else. Hold fast to what is good. This hold fast here, underneath this, it stems from a word where we get the idea of be glued to. I want you to abhor, I want you to turn away from anything that is evil towards someone else and I want you to hold fast, hold on to that like a little kid holds on to his dad or mommy when they feel scared, what is good. That's also a relationship word which means of benefit to someone else. Paul says that is genuine love. Genuine love is I don't feel like it anymore. Genuine love isn't I'm sick of you. Genuine love doesn't bail. Genuine love abhors what's evil done to someone and holds and glues to what is good. He continues, love one another. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Wow. 
love one another. Some translations have be devoted to one another. Who are you devoted to? Are you quick to kill off friendships? Say, I'm done with them. Who are you devoted to, even sometimes when you get ill treatment? But what's interesting, it says brotherly affection. Philos is a word underneath brotherly. It's where you get Philadelphia or brotherly love. Philos, but there's another word that is part of the root, and that's storge. And it's, it's a motherly type of aspect or a familial. And when you combine them, this is that brotherly familial affection. Have you ever noticed you're really hard on people outside your house sometimes, but you let your family get away with anything? And you protect them, you hide them from that. Oh, they're gonna look bad if they do that. And so we hide them. You ever, you, ever see, you ever hear the phrase, mama bear? Okay, she's coming out to protect her young. Paul says, I want you to apply that within the body of Christ. I want you to love one another with a brotherly infection. In fact, outdo one another in showing honor. Underneath this word outdo, the root kind of carries the idea of take the lead. Get out in front of them. Take the lead in showing honor. Hey, man, I just really want you to know I appreciate you. Oh, yeah? Well, I appreciate you so much. I'm going to outdo you. I'm going to give you a gift card. Oh, you're going to give me a gift card? I'm going to come over and clean up your house. Oh, yeah, you aren't. I'm going to come over, clean up your house, and fill up your gas tank. It's almost this idea of I'm going to outdo. I'm going to outdo. But also, I'm going to take the lead. Months ago, Everybody who knows me as a pastor here at church knows I wear white belts all the time. In fact, it's becoming one of the questions in our new members' classes. Hey, why does Pastor Chris wear white belts, okay? And someday at my funeral, someone will tell you, okay? But you say, are you wearing a white belt? I, I actually am wearing a white belt right now. But a couple months ago, I walked out into one of the foyers, okay? And I was having a cup of coffee and I was engaging in a conversation and it was getting a little emotional, the conversation they were sharing with me, some, some difficult things that were happening in their family and I was trying to just really minister to them and so I was really engaged. And this young girl comes walking up to me. I, I'm guessing junior high, a little bit older and into her high school years, okay? I, I'm guessing that window because I was really locked in on this conversation. She came up to me and she handed me this bag and I grabbed the bag. I go, uh-oh, I got a bag after that sermon. Am I in trouble? And she shook her head no and, and I went to engage her some more in conversation but I really, this was an emotional conversation and she kind of just, very wonderfully and humbly just left. Well, I went home that night and I opened up the, the bag that she gave me and I pulled it out and it was a new Nike white belt. And not only that, she had sewn 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the word. In season and out of season. Man, with an empty church room, I know now what out of season is, Okay. But he goes on, it says, to correct, rebuke, and encourage with great, do you know the word? Patience. What a beautiful text. Young lady, you took the lead by giving your pastor a white belt and sewing that in, and I don't know who you are, but I just outdid you and brought you up on a Sunday morning. And so you better tell you me who you are so I can thank you appropriately if you're watching today. You took the lead and showed your pastor love and you picked a verse for him that you knew was one of his favorites and one that he is inspired by. 
God bless you. We need more young ladies like you. Outdo one another. Don't be slothful. Don't be slothful. Don't be a sluggard in zeal. But be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. The idea of being slothful here, when you get under that word, it means to lag behind, okay? Do you have somebody in your family that is always lagging behind? Come on, we gotta go, we gotta go. And the more you wanna go, the slower they come. Paul wants to use that kind of emotion and say, hey, don't be lagging behind in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. I gotta tell you something about your staff. Over the last two months, I have watched them work behind the scenes harder than they have in a long time with very emotionally charged moments because they're struggling through this too, church family. They have not lacked I am watching a kitchen crew cooking at revivals and just sweating and getting this food out at reckless rates to people who desperately need it right now. This church has not been slothful in zeal, but has been fervent in spirit. And then the next verse, Paul, he he keeps building on this. He says, says, children of God, rejoice in hope. This is my 17-year-old daughter's favorite verse. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. How are you supposed to be in tribulation? Anxious? Upset? Opinionated? Angry? Patient. Persevere. Our children's pastor came to me a couple weeks ago. He said, Pastor Chris, I'm just not gonna lie. I am so tired of doing these online videos. I said, persevere, Ben, persevere. We'll get through this. And he just put a big smile on his face and he kept serving the Lord. You gotta be patient in tribulation. Church, we're being called to be patient right now. And that's kind of not our church's MO, okay? I know our church family. I know our church's DNA. And it's more like this. It's more like, okay, God, hold on, God, hold, hold on, guys, okay? Because, because God is asking us right now to grow, This didn't surprise him. He wants us to grow in love. He wants us to be constant in prayer. And rejoicing in the hope that we all have in Jesus Christ. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality to one another. This is what genuine love looks like in times of unrest. It continues to contribute to the needs of the saints. Church family, you have literally blown my mind with your generosity. You have been a wind in my sails because I can't see you all. I don't even know how many of you there are. We have thousands of views now on a Sunday morning and you guys have been a wind in your leadership's sails. We made a commitment. We weren't gonna talk about giving on our online because so many people were watching We didn't want to get into that. We knew the Lord would trust us. Church family, you've been ridiculously awesome and you have no idea the wind that you have put behind our backs during this time. We cannot thank you enough that you have continued to show genuine love and contribute to the needs of the saints and now, hopefully you're in watch groups showing hospitality and helping your church out during this season of ministry. This is what genuine love looks like, even amidst unrest. Church, we've been able to give out over $30,000 to people and families in need. 
over the past two months because of your generosity and so many's. That kind of ends the micro approach of this text, talking to believers and how they should love one another. But now it's going to expand when we get into the real unrest and, the, and, and, and anger and, and possible division that begins to build. And Paul now wants to speak. He spoke micro, okay? And now he wants to speak macro into this. And he says, okay, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Uh, oh boy, this is where it's gonna get a little different. You know, as a pastor, you get attacked sometimes on social media and different things, you get attacked and, and people share their opinions of you that don't even know you and um, you think pastors have an opinion too? Yeah. And this passage hits you in the face like a ton of lead. Bless those who are coming at you. Bless and do not curse them. See, it's easy to love people that love you. It's easy to love people who only share your opinion. It's easy to surround yourself only with people who agree with you. But genuine love? can even bless someone, which the word is the idea of showing them favor and seeking what's best for them even when they're coming at them. Wow, what a call for us and how to respond to people who even attack us. Paul says, I got more. We're gonna dig a little deeper into this genuine love. I want you to do this. I want you to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. If I could define empathy in one verse of scripture, I'd read that one. Rejoice with people who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Which is more difficult for you? You know, my wife doesn't like when I talk about her, okay? Um, but this is her verse because she defines rejoice with those who rejoice I played basketball in college and there was this cute little cheerleader on the cheerleading team and um, she agreed to marry me somehow and, and we've been together since. But she's been a cheerleader in my mind her whole life. She cheers people on. She loves to rejoice with those who rejoice. People love to share good news with her because they know she's gonna go, what, what, okay? Because she just loves being happy for other people. And I know some people, they can't rejoice with anybody. They see another family and they're filled with jealousy. My wife's always been a great picture of that to me. There's also just wonderful people in our church family who understand that sometimes the best thing you can do is just to cry with them. I lost a very dear friend of mine, a very dear woman of the faith in our church family this week. And I had a chance to just weep with those who weep. We're gonna celebrate her. She was a life well lived. She's in glory and she's with her Jesus running around, having a good time. But our church family hurts from that. We understand what it feels like to cry with those who cry. Paul says, I wanna dig a little deeper. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Watch out for pride. I want you to live in harmony. Any singers out there? 
How beautiful is it when you hear harmony? Sometimes you hear four-part harmony and you see them working together. You know how easy it is for musicians to be arrogant and make it all about themselves and not want to not have the lead? But when people work together, they can bring a sound, even in their differences, even in their different shoes, that one person couldn't bring. But in order to do that, we can't be haughty. And we can't say, these are the only people I will associate with. And we can't be wise in our own sight. Do you struggle with that? Are you wise in your own sight? God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Paul says, let's dig a little deeper. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. I'll sometimes have people say, Chris, you really labor over your words and what you're gonna say. You really, you really dwell on that. And I, I can tend to have an anxious spirit. I confess on what I share. But here's my goal. My goal is to share something that is honorable in the sight of all. It kind of offends me when I share the gospel and I share Jesus' love and people act like I'm being PC or politically correct. Truth is truth. And to speak into truth means you're speaking in such a way that everybody who reads it can go, you know what, I may not agree with it, but I honor that. You're at least, you're at least showing me love. And you're not some noisy gong filled with hatred and anger. I want people to read stuff that I put out and say, that's honorable. I can't always please everyone. I can never make anyone happy, everyone happy. But I wanna do my best to represent Jesus and that if he would read what I comment, if he reads what I post, if he hears what I preach, he would say, I can stand by that. And I fail, we all fail at times. But that's one of my goals. Repay no one evil for evil. If someone does evil to you, you don't go back and do evil. That's not gonna solve things. Love solves things. Doing things people don't expect is what solves things. So let's just be cautious in the way we portray our opinions, even if they're strong and accurate convictions. Let's make sure we do it in a way that would honor our Lord and Savior. And then he gets personal. Paul says, I'm gonna dig right into your house, if possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. Do you like the phrase, if possible? <laughs> In other words, it's a two-way street. You know, if you've ever, if you've ever struggled with like, hey, nobody respects me. I, I want you to understand something. Respect is a two-way street. You're not going to get respect from other people if you don't show them respect. This is why sometimes we have good coaches and bad coaches. If you disrespect your players all the time, especially around the other players, expect them to struggle to respect you. But when you show respect, regardless of age, you'll often find respect back. Because respect is a two-way street. So is, retaliate, uh, so is reconciliation, excuse me. Reconciliation is a two-way street. 
You, if you want to reconcile with someone, you have to be willing to reconcile, but they've got to be willing to reconcile with you. And we can't control that all the time. But Paul says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all. I don't want to hear you, the Apostle Paul. I don't want to hear you judging what you see on TV. I don't want you to hear you judging what's in some other man's shoes or what they're going through or what they said. I don't want to hear that if you're not currently living at peace with somebody. Is there someone in your life that you're harboring resentment towards? Is there someone in your life that you're angry with or you can't stand right now and you can't show them love? Paul's saying, hey, hey, don't be spouting your opinion about everything that's going on in the country if you haven't dealt with it in your own house. If possible, so far as it depends on you, this is your goal, to live peaceably with all. This is, this is crazy love. This is genuine love. This is difficult love. This is not for the weak. Anger's easy. Frustration's easy. Throwing something across the garage is easy. This is hard. This is difficult. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I repay, says the Lord. The idea is this. God's saying, hey, don't avenge yourselves when you're hurt. I see it. Trust me with the vengeance. What? Yeah, yeah. It says, never avenge it, but leave room. You remember pinatas, okay, when you were a little kid? Somebody would hit one, and you're like, come on, come on, give me a whack. Let me hit it. And you want to get up, and you want to whack it. And the kids would always struggle, always struggle, and there was always the big brother or something who would come up, and everybody's like, here it comes, here it comes. And boom, he'd hit it, and candy would fly everywhere. And the kids are like, ah, they jump all over the place. Here's, here's kind of the idea here. The Lord's saying, leave room. Hey, 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 whoa. Leave me a whack. Whoa. Trust me with vengeance. You can take a vengeance yourself, and this is what you're doing. That's what you're doing. God's saying, if you want, if you want to trust me with this, don't avenge yourself. This is love. Don't avenge yourself. Trust me with it. You could, you could slap if you want, I guess, or you could just leave room for me to avenge I think I'd rather let God do it. I heard one theologian say, the idea behind this verse is this, why slap someone on the wrist when God has a train prepared coming down the track? To the contrary, Paul says, two more verses. If your enemy is hungry, I want you to feed him. Whoa, 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 if my enemy? Yeah, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you heap coals on his head. The idea is here, I want you to kill him with kindness almost. I want you to do something abnormal. This is the love that brings solutions to subjects. A couple years ago, Chick-fil-A had done something that fired up a group of people. I can't even fully remember the context of it, but there were people picketing outside of Chick-fil-A. And I heard the story that they went out and gave them all food. So while they're picketing, they're bringing them out 12-count nuggets and fries and everything like that. I mean, picture that. I hate Chick-fil-A. What? Oh, fries? Yeah, yeah, fries too. Okay. I hate Chick-fil-A. Do you got any barbecue sauce? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I hate Chick-fil-A. It, it, you can see it's, gonna, it's going to eventually wear on them. Why are you showing me love right now? This is the love of the gospel. This is a hard love. 
This is a difficult love. This is a crazy love. This is a genuine love. Last verse. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This word overcome, if you get down underneath it, it means to overtake, okay, or to win the victory over something. Do not let evil get the victory in your life, but, be, but overcome evil with good. The idea is chase it down. Chase down evil with good. Don't let evil chase you down. Chase down evil with good. I'm reminded, I'm reminded of uh, baseball games. Remember baseball games? <laughs> Um, and they, they had this thing, I think it's in Arizona. I got a little video clip I wanna show you, and this guy's called the Freeze, and what they do is they have a fan start running, and he has to get to the other foul pole before the Freeze hunts him down, before the Freeze overtakes him, okay, and wins the victory. Just, just watch this a minute, and we'll, and we'll begin to sum up this passage and go to application. Watch, watch this, 30 seconds. I love that, I love that. He's going, yeah, I got this. Boom, blows by him. He overtakes him. We wanna be like the freeze. We wanna overcome evil with good. We wanna just hunt it down with good during these times. Overcome, the Greek word is neakis. It's where we get the word Nike. It means to win the victory. Do not let evil have the victory child of God in times of unrest. Let good have the victory. Am I gonna be part of the problem or part of the solution? Confirmation bias isn't gonna get us there. Opinions aren't gonna get us there. Genuine love, genuine love, Paul shows us, will get us there. But it's gonna be difficult and it's gonna demand sacrifice and it's gonna demand listening and it's gonna demand if I could just umbrella this text and put a big umbrella over this whole text, it's gonna demand, you ready? Empathy, empathy. It's a word that's not often preached on. And, and I have in my journal, because whenever we're go, I'm going through times of rest, I, I journal a lot. In my journal, I put together an acronym for you to talk about in your watch groups today. Here's the acronym, empathetic. The marks of an empathetic child of God, born out of Romans 12, 9 through 21. An empathetic, an empathetic child of God envisions the other person's shoes. They don't just go, I don't get you, I don't understand you. They go, what would it be like if I were in their shoes? Regardless of how I feel they're approaching this or how they're taking this or how they're feeling, what would it be like to be in their shoes right now? M, empathetic people make the time. Empathetic people don't talk about going over to meet with someone who's hurting. Empathetic people don't go, I wonder if I should. I don't know. Do they really want to hear from me? Empathetic people make the time immediately. We laugh at Pastor Doug's car. We say the second he finds out someone's in need, his car's already started. He doesn't think, I wonder if I should go over. He just goes. Make the time. They envision other people's shoes. They make the time. They pray specifically. Empathetic people say, hey, how can I be praying for you? And you go, um, you know, yeah, just be praying for me. They go, no, 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 no. How can I be praying for you? And you're like, whoa, they're actually gonna pray. They're really gonna pray for me. They want details. 
probably so they can get back to me and say, hey, I've been praying about those specific things. Empathetic people advocate for the concern. Empathetic people don't just listen and go, hmm, yeah, that's too bad. Ah, stinks to be you. No. Empathetic people go, how can I advocate? How can I come alongside? We got this wonderful lady in, in our church. Her name is Barb, and, and I call her the advocate. She, she just goes and tries to advocate for it. I'll call. I'll call that. I'll, I'll get that for you. I'll do this. I'll do this. I, I had a youth leader when I was in youth ministry. Her name was Becky. And, and um, Becky, if I ever needed to get something done, she would become my advocate. It was awesome. Just the people who advocate for others. Empathetic people take on responsibility. We, we have a wonderful pastor's wife. Her name is Julie in our church. And she just goes, how can I help that? I want to take that from you. You need to do that tomorrow? Let me do that for you. Let me, let me help you. Let me help you. They take on responsibility. You're going through a hard time. Let me jump in here. They hear the struggle. They hear the struggle. They're listening. We got a pastor on staff. His name is John. He's just a great listener. And, and, and we often joke. Uh, sometimes if I'm feeling down, I just go talk to John and he'll just listen to me. He'll hear me. Are you a listener? Or like while people are sharing their heart with you, you're like, yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. Man, hear the empathetic people hear. They're not going, yeah, but you don't understand. Okay, but I really just want to share with you. Oh, you just don't get it. No, no, they hear you. They encourage today, there's a verse in scripture, it's one of my favorite. It says, encourage one another while it's still today. Like, look at your clock. While it's still today, go find somebody you encourage. I had a young teenager write me a letter during the past two and a half months. And she said, Pastor Chris, I'm praying for you and I just wanted you to know that. I got back to her. I said, young lady, I've gone out of the way to write you back and I'll tell you why. You're the only person of your age to do something like that, and I just wanna say thank you, and I wanna encourage, use you as an example to encourage other people to reach out. I also had a really awesome little kids class write some encouraging notes. You know how good those feel? Isn't it sad? We get 20 encouragement notes, and all we remember is the criticism. Let's celebrate encouragers. Empathetic people tell stories of hope. They don't tell stories of doom. I don't even know if the world's ever coming back. You know what, we're probably done. No, 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 no. Empathetic people know that hope is what stirs people on. And we always have a hope we can rejoice in. Empathetic people instill assurance. They go, hey, you're gonna be all right. Hey, I got you. Are you a person who instills assurance? It feels so good to me when I make a decision that I'm wondering if it's the right thing to have people instill assurance. And empathetic people, sometimes, you know what they do? They flat out cry with them. That's what my Lord and Savior did. Jesus wept. You know, when we seek to understand another person's shoes that might not be our own, we live out the gospel. That's gospel living. We don't just say, I don't get you, I don't understand you. We say, I want to seek to understand you. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Because Jesus, enthroned in glory, he obeyed his father and came to earth in the form of a baby. And he got in our shoes. And he lived a perfect life, but he can empathize with our shoes.
He knows what unrest is like. Think about the Roman Empire that Jesus walked into. And he got into our shoes, lived a perfect life and died on the cross. Everyone listening to this sermon at one time was an enemy of God. And while you were a sinner, Jesus died for you. Who are you to judge right now? You have received incredible grace. Who are you to not empathize right now? You've received incredible mercy. Who are you to not love when you've received such incredible love? God so loved us and manifested love to us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And once I was an enemy, but now I'm seated at the table because I took Jesus Christ as my savior and I could have never done that if he didn't come down to my earth and walk in my shoes and shed his innocent blood on a cross for me. Child of God, I'm imploring you to live out the gospel in your life. If you're questioning today where, where you're at and all this unrest is bothering you, I'm imploring you today to investigate the truths of scripture. But let me be an encouragement to you. To be marked with empathy during this time and to read and to live out the genuine love of Romans 9, excuse me, Romans 12, 9 through 21. Empathy's one thing, but empathy's not enough. We've got to approach empathy with truth. Heavenly Father, use this text today to encourage everybody who's listening. I know we're all dealing, none of us like people fighting and people angry and people being killed and people being hurt. It, it hurts us all. It hurts us all. And Lord, we're praying for peace in our land. But that will most likely start with each one of us choosing to speak differently online, choosing to converse with one another differently, choosing to outdo one another in showing love, choosing to not fight with our brothers and sisters in Christ over our personal opinions, but, but to respect one another even when we disagree and handle it with a, at least an approach that would not lead to resentment or bitterness. Lord, we, we pray against evil in this land we want to abhor it and we want to cling to what is good. And so Lord, I pray that this world would see the solution is found in genuine love. And that has been modeled by Jesus Christ who was so wonderful, he got into our shoes, lived a perfect life and died so that we could emulate his love to others. I pray this passage encourages people helps the conversation, but I pray if anybody's together today, they would go out of their way to try to encourage someone's day and understand their shoes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.